Welcome to the Radiant Church Podcast. I'm glad you're here. Grab a Bible or open up your favorite Bible app as we get into God's Word together. Well, good morning, church. Good morning. Good morning, man. I don't know about y'all, but my heart needed that worship this morning. Amen. 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 That song, uh, Prone to Wander. Lord, our hearts are prone to forget how good he is. Um, But then above all else, there's something that stirs in us that wants God's glory above all the things of this world. Even as we were praying this morning um, before service, um, we just kind of sang that refrain together. Um, Because above all else is a a bold statement, isn't it? Because y'all got real life happening for you, don't it? I got real life happening for me, Amen. There are things that I need in my life, things that are broken that I want God to fix, things that are missing that God that I want God to fill, things that are hurting that I want God to heal. So when you say something like above all else, I will sing your praises and glorify your name. That is a sacrificial statement. And yet for the believer, it must be true. It must be true. Because only when we place God in his place in our lives do we have the reward of him being only who he could be in our lives. Amen? Amen. Grab your Bibles. Um, We're going to be in Malachi uh, chapter 2 today. If you don't have a Bible, all you have to do is simply raise your hand and one of our ushers will be glad to put one in your hand. Um, There should be a connection card turned right to the page that you need to be in. Um, If not, Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament. So if you get to Matthew, just flip a little bit to the left and you will find us waiting for you there. We have been going through a series through the book of Malachi entitled What God Requires. Uh, We started off in chapter 1, verse 2 that the foundation of what God requires, the foundation of our obedience is not fear, but love. And more importantly, not our love for God, because we know that sometimes is up and sometimes it's down. Sometimes it's there, sometimes it's not, sometimes it's full, sometimes it's lacking. But the foundation of our obedience to the Lord is not our love for God, but his love for us. And he has demonstrated his goodness to us, and that is the foundation of our response to him. And last week we looked at leftover worship, how God doesn't require to give us what we have left over to give him, the time, the resources, the energy that we have left over, but God calls us to give him what's first and most precious to us. And how that's really for our benefit, because when we give God the worship that he deserves, it consumes us in such a way we are not so easily distracted by the counterfeit gods of this world. And so we are going to continue in that vein of what does God require? We're going to look at chapter two, verses one through nine today. And let me say this. If you are an unbeliever today, if you are not a Christian and you are here worshiping with us, man, I am so glad that you're here. One, because I'm glad that you're here on a, on a Sunday morning because I don't take it for granted that you were in this place. You could have been doing anything else, but you chose to come. But I'm also glad you're here because this book of the Bible, maybe more clearly than most other Old Testament books, shows the very character and nature of God. 
There is so much confusion in this world about who God is and what he wants. And many of us have turned, been turned off from Christianity, not because of the God of the Bible, but because of the God that we have seen. And those are not always the same thing. So I'm glad you're here because we are going to peel back the layers and let God show himself to us in his word. Let me read the first four verses and I would like to pray. Listen, you priests, this command is for you. Listen to me and make up your minds to honor my name, says the Lord of heaven's armies, or I will bring a terrible curse against you. I will curse even the blessings you receive. Indeed, I have already cursed them because you have not taken my warning to heart. I will punish your descendants and splatter your faces with manure from your festival sacrifices. I will throw you on the manure pile. Then at last you will know it was I who sent you this warning so that my covenant with the Levites can continue, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Let's pray. Father, in this moment, God, we need to experience and encounter you. God, we need more than the words of a mere man this morning. So, God, I pray right now that your word would come alive in our ears, that it would quicken us to repentance. It would quicken us to faith. Holy Spirit, you have permission to move. We yield to your leading. God, would you give me clarity of mind, compassionate, courageous speech? And above all things, God, with the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart, be pleasing and acceptable to you because you are my Lord and my rock and my redeemer. And it's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. amen and amen. Looking back over the last couple of years, it has been a crazy time in the Christian church, has it not? Do I need to, do I need to spur your, your memory a little bit? Um. Uh, we expect, uh, you know, I, I always talk with, uh, you know, pastors and other friends, and I, I say, man, they always say things like, oh, man, the world is getting crazier and crazier. And I'm always saying the same thing. Well, that's what the world is supposed to do. The world is supposed to get crazier and crazier. I'm not discouraged by the world getting crazy. But I feel a little something when the church Hello, starts to get caught up in it. Come on now. There have been... Uh, pastors out in Tennessee that have said things from the pulpit during a Sunday morning worship service, that if you have the COVID-19 vaccine, you have been possessed by a demon and need to be exercised. There's been folks from the pulpit declaring things that are political or policy in nature as thus saith the Lord. They have been put eternal promises on American realities. Let me give you a hint, family. Anytime somebody quotes the Bible and then immediately jumps to America, you should be cautious. Amen? Amen? But it's been leaders from the pulpit rallying crazy things. Before the domestic terrorists stormed the Capitol on January 6th, there was a prayer and worship service outside with pastors preaching and amen and affirming that this is what God wants. And on the other side of the political aisle, there are pastors in pulpits saying that God is a God of love. And love, by definition, means that people can choose to do whatever they want to do. And they say things like God is gay affirming and God wants you to be happy. 
And so whatever it takes for you to be happy, that's what God would want you to do because he's a God of love. And there's been pastors on both sides of the aisles and Christian leaders saying all these things about who God is and what he likes. And it has made us look just as crazy as the world. Today, the word of God is for us. You see, Malachi was a prophet to the people of Israel, but he's going to take a quick detour from talking about the nation. Remember, the nation had once again been revived in right worship. Nehemiah and Ezra had restored the worship of the temple. They had rebuilt the wall. Sacrifices had resumed, and everything seemed to be good in Christianity. Paralleling it today, Nehemiah went away for a season, and people began to wander. Their temple sacrifices ceased, and they began to give the defiled and the defective animals for the sacrifices. The worship of God stopped. The priests left their job. And Malachi, the prophet, was raised up in this season to call people back to right worship and reminding them of what God demands of his people. But anytime you have a people of God, there is a particular group of people that requires special attention. That's us, pastors and leaders. You see, not only were the priests, the leaders of the religious leaders of the the group at the time, not only were they guilty of the same sins of everyone else, but they were doubly so because they should know better. And when I see out in the church today, people believing crazy things, my heart breaks. But when I see pastors teaching crazy things, that breaks my heart in a deeper way because they should know better. By virtue of the office, by virtue of the call, you should know better. And so today we're going to talk about clearly what does God require from his leaders? Not just what you would like to see from your leaders, because our opinion takes second place always to what God demands. And so what does God demand from his leaders? Now, before you turn tune out, well, I'm not no pastor, I'm not no leader, so this ain't for me. Have your life been impacted positively or negatively by an experience with the pastor? Everybody say Amen. Think about the church experience that you've had, both positive and negative, and how that was shaped by the leader of the house. Some of y'all just came back to church this year because of what a pastor did or said. Amen? Y'all been gone for a long time. So before we tune out and say it doesn't apply to us, so it doesn't matter, it does. It does. Listen, you priests, this command is for you. Listen to me and make up your minds to honor my name. You see, the problem was the same problem of the people as they were not worshiping God. Now, they were going through the religious activities because they wanted their power and prestige. They liked to be up front. They were still conducting false sacrifices. They were still orchestrating a religious service, but it wasn't to glorify the name of God. It was to maintain their power in a community. And he says that I will bring a terrible curse against you, yet I have already cursed you. And he gets real graphic in verse 3, saying that I will throw you in a manure pile. Why is God so angry? Some of us may not be aware of this, but in the temple sacrificial system, um, there was animals sacrificed for the worship service, and animals have to go to the bathroom. But there was a strict law that the manure had to be taken outside of the city because it represented uncleanliness. And so it had to be taken outside of the city and it had to be burned. And that was to symbolize God consuming that which is unclean so righteous worship can continue. So when you hear the phrase that God is going to put that which is unclean on the faces of the priests, what is he saying? 
He's saying, I'm going to make you look like to others what I see you as right now. Because here's the reality, family. We look real good when other people look at us. We look real righteous when other people look at us. But if people saw us the way God sees us, would we look like we had manure on our faces? Would we look defiled? And so that is what God is saying. He's not just being petty or rude. He is saying that I will make visible the defilement which I see, but the people don't. If ever you would want to apply a particular verse to the American context, this might be one. I know we like to quote Jeremiah 29. I know the plans that I have for you. I know we like to quote Second Chronicles if my people would humble themselves. But if there was ever a verse that we could readily apply, it would be the embarrassment that those who call themselves leaders in the church have caused Christianity. Just the embarrassment. Do you know that Gallup has done a religious studies poll pretty much every year since the 40s or 50s. Um, In the 50s and 60s, the statement, do you believe in God, is pretty much asked almost every several years. And in the 50s and 60s, that number was around 98%. Now, mind you, think about your unbelieving friends. My unbelieving friends, my non-Christian friends would still say they believe in God. This is not a high bar, y'all. This don't define God. This don't say the evangelical God. It's just a blanket question, do you believe in God? And about 98% of respondents said yes in the 50s and 60s. Ever since the 80s, that number has been in steady decline. And as of 2022, that number sits at 81%. 11% of people looked a pollster in their face and said no. I don't believe in God. Now, that don't sound like a lot to 11% of the nation. But how many people do you know, if you ask them, would say, no, I don't believe in God? Almost every unbeliever I know would say, yes, they believe in God, because it seems weird to say no. But we're talking about a, a generation that's being raised right now that has no honor or respect. And as a matter of fact, they're living in defiance. No, there is no God. The church numbers, attendance, baptism, giving, just about every metric that measures the health of the church has been in steady decline for the last 20 years. Part of that reason, I would assume, is not the gospel has become less good. Y'all, the good news is still good news. The fact that you don't have to earn salvation, but a man born in Israel in the Middle East was God himself lived a perfect life and the life that you should have lived but could not live and died a criminal's death, the death that you should have died but didn't, and then rose back to life and just invited you to enjoy him forever and be his hands and feet of redemption in this world. That still sounds like good news to me. So what's changed? If the gospel message hasn't changed, why do so many people seem to be saying no to it? And I believe it's because of this verse right here. The world sees what God has always seen. The world, Twitter and social media and YouTube and Facebook and social media has allowed the world to peer into places that they were previously not invited to. And they now can hear the foolishness said from behind pulpits every single Sunday. They can hear the amens of the crowd. They can hear the cheering of applause when politicians walk along a stage and it's a celebration of a country, a nation, or a party instead of Jesus. And they hear that and they feel like even instinctively that don't seem right. Spreading manure 
on their faces. Verse 5. The purpose of my covenant with the Levites, the word Levites here is going to be synonymous with the priests because the priests of Aaron were part of the Levite tribe here. Um, The purpose of my covenant with the Levites was to bring life and peace. That is what I gave them. This required reverence from them, and they greatly revered me and stood in awe of my name. They passed on to the people the truth of the instructions they received from me. They did not lie or cheat. They walked with me living good and righteous lives. They turned many lives from sin. The prophet is saying, man, there was a time when my priest did right. That's right. That's right. There was a time when the leaders could be counted on. My God, my God. Do you know how the, the Levites became the Levites? It's a really interesting story in Exodus chapter 32. I encourage you to, to read it. But uh, Moses was up on Mount Sinai receiving the Ten Commandments, but he took a long time and the people got restless. And so they said, Aaron, uh, we want to worship something, and Aaron isn't here, and so why don't you make a golden calf for us? And we will all pitch in, and we will shape this golden calf, and we will worship that in its place. And Aaron thought it was a good idea, so they made a golden calf, and they worshiped. And then God, in his anger, told Moses, Moses, get down from this mountain. Go check on your people, because I'm about to do something reckless. And so Moses ran down the mountain and found people worshiping a graven image when they had just been delivered through a Red Sea, seen a cloud of fire and pillar by night. They had seen the miracles and power of God, and they had already forgotten. And in his anger, he threw down the tablets. And then he said, all those who were on the side of the Lord, come and join me. And the Bible says in Exodus 32 that the Levites, the family from Levi, joined him. Maybe they were the only ones. Maybe God called them out in particular. We're not sure. But the Levites stood up and said, we were on the side of the Lord. We're not part of that. And God told every one of the Levites to grab a sword and to go through the camp. And just anybody who you come across, slay them where they stand. Now, these are the brothers and sisters and nephews and nieces and uncles and aunties. But above all else means above all else. And God, they said, we are committed to the glory of God. And they went through the camp passing judgment on the nation of Israel. And God said that day, because you honored me, because you chose me even above your family, today I'm establishing a covenant with you that you will always serve in my presence. And that's how the Levites became the Levites. And so there was a time when they were the faithful ones. There was a time when they were the models of what faithfulness to God should look like. Above all else, disregarding all other allegiances, but God's glory alone, there was a time. And man, that's true of my own life, if I'm honest. There was a time where my allegiances were clear. There is a time where it was real easy to choose God over anything else. But over time, that decision gets harder, doesn't it? It becomes less clear what to do, doesn't it? But for leaders, pastors, it's non-negotiable. And hear the call. If you want to hear the answer to the question, what does God require from his people, from his leaders in particular? Look at verse 7. The words of a priest's lips should preserve knowledge of God. 
and people should go to him for instruction, for his priest is the messenger of the Lord of heaven's armies. But you priests have left God's path. Your instructions have caused many to stumble into sin. You have corrupted the covenant I made with the Levites, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Do you hear the call? And how does those qualifications line up with oftentimes what we celebrate in leaders today? Look at that. The Levites, in verse 6, was to bring life and peace, to reverence the name of the Lord, to pass on the truth of the instructions. They didn't lie or cheat. They were men of integrity, and they walked with me, and they lived good and righteous lives. They practiced what they preached. This is the qualification of a pastor. This is the qualification of those who would lead God's people and speak on behalf of God's name. Holiness. Holiness set aside from this world, a person of integrity, a person of worship, a person of single-minded devotion. And let me give you a help. If ever you find yourself in this place or any other place where that is not the model of the leaders, you should raise your hand and say something. They might be gifted. They might get sang. They might get preached. They might get shout. They might be good leaders. They might be charismatic. They might be all those other things. But if they are not men of integrity who can be trusted, who teach the word of God, who instruct God's people in that which he commands, then they may, be many, they may be many things, but God's men, they are not. And I feel the weight of that, fam. I feel the weight of it. That's why we've said many times before, man, there are so many things that I want to come up here and talk about because the world is on fire, I feel like. But then I remember verse 7, the words of a priest's lips should preserve the knowledge of God. And I ask myself, God, am am I sharing my heart or yours? Am I leading people in the knowledge of God or the knowledge of how to navigate tentious and contentious political times? And it restrains us, family. It restrains us. Not that we should never talk about things that are happening and that are real in this world, but it should be taught in such a way that helps grow people's knowledge of what God wants, not just what I believe. How many people, don't raise your hand, how many people have been hurt by the church? Just reflect on that for a moment. How many of you in this room have been betrayed, frustrated, disappointed by a pastor in your life? How many of us are seeing these scriptures of what a pastor should be and we are rolling the tape back in our minds and maybe we've got lots of good examples or maybe we are coming up short? And you are wondering, where has that been in my life? I want to end here. Flip over to Hebrews chapter 7. You see, in the book of Hebrews, he begins, the author begins to help those who are raised in the system of Judaism, 
who were raised in the temple system, and he begins to unpack how the temple system was just a shadow and a mirror of the things to come, particularly Jesus to come. Verse 17, prophesying about Jesus. Chapter 7, verse 17, and the psalmist pointed this out when he prophesied, you are a priest, Jesus, forever in the order of Melchizedek. Yes, the old requirement about the priesthood was set aside because it was weak and useless. For the law never made anything perfect. But now we have confidence in a better hope, though which we draw near to God. This new system was established with a solemn oath. Aaron's descendants became priests without such an oath, but there was an oath regarding Jesus. For God said to him, the Lord has taken an oath and will not break his vow. You are a priest forever. Because of this oath, verse 22, Jesus is the one who guarantees this better covenant with God. You see, we may have priests and pastors who have failed us, but that is not our only hope. We at Radiant Church will fail you at some point, but we are not your only hope. There is a man who stands on the line of a priesthood that will never fail, that will never end. The sun will never set on his rule and his reign, and that man's name is Jesus. He is the better priest. Family, you have been hurt by the church. I'm not taking anything away from that. I know that's many of your stories. But you know who also was hurt by the church? You know who also was nailed to a cross by the church? You know who also was betrayed and denied three times by the church? You know who was mocked and whipped and beaten and spit on by the church? You know who understand what it's like to come to save a people and love a people and be rejected at every hand by the church? This man, Jesus. This man, Jesus, who knows what we have gone through and yet calls us to himself. Family, what does God require? God requires his leaders to be people of integrity of holiness and the knowledge of God, truth. And he calls us to gather around that reality, to celebrate that reality, to not allow celebrities to run the church, but qualified men to run, to lead, to women, to lead. And if you find that hard to believe or hard to trust, guess what? You don't have to. Because I'm not a priest on your behalf. I'm not a mediator between you and God. Jesus is. And we may fail you, men may fail you. But Jesus, I promise you, I promise you, will never fail you. And as long as he sits on the throne and in the temple... We have nothing to fear because he is worthy. Amen. Thank you for joining our family in North Charleston as we heard God's word preached today. We would love to connect with you. You can find us online on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Send us a message to learn more about what Radiant Church is doing or support the vision of Radiant Church at radiantcharleston.com giving.